Hey everybody, and welcome to our newest project for first responder wellness, No One Fights Alone, an in-depth conversation about mental health and addiction in the first responder space. We're joined by your hosts, Austin Pedersen and Josh Adams. All right, well, we'll we're back for another episode. Uh, we're we're going to grace the listeners with uh, the presence of, of Mr. John Corcoran again today. Uh, you know, I had, had the pleasure of getting to spend at least the last couple of days with John. Um, you know, John, John, John and I both work together and, and kind of have some of the same mission as, as some of, you know, <clears throat> and it, it's a different vibe to, to see you in your hometown and in your comfortable area. And, uh, we got to speak with a few different departments, including your own, on wellness the last couple of days. And, you know, John grabbed me, and uh, I think there was a huge portion of your story uh, and, you know, what you've gone through that we really didn't go over the last time that, you know, you were on the podcast I think we kind of, you know, went through the before and then your experience in treatment uh, as a an active duty police officer, but we really didn't go over anything after. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that's kind of where we left off. Yeah, and uh, you know what what I really want to do is I think I think a lot of the times when we we go over people's experiences. You know, we, we get to the, the treatment portion and we kind of get stuck there. And then we don't talk about what life is like after you go. So, um, you know, realistically, you know, during this episode, I, I want to talk what it looks like for you uh, back in real life. So, you know, what I want to do right now is uh, talk about what it was like, you know, reintegrating back into work. Uh, you know, what it was like the, the day you left treatment and, and kind of the, the struggles that you faced. So kind of give us an idea of, you know, the first, first little bit you, you came back home. Sure. Uh, so I think the day I left treatment, I drove home. Um, I left treatment at say roughly 16, 18 hour drive from Salt Lake back to the Twin Cities here in St. Paul, Minneapolis. Um, it was a lot of time to kind of sit by myself and process the last 60 days. I did a 60-day stint at Chateau. Um, and it was a lot of, I don't want to say unanswered questions, but there was a lot of, okay, what does life look like moving forward? To be determined, right? Yes, to be right. determined. Um it was, you know, a lot of where my energy was going to be focused as far as what I had learned at Chateau and what I had experienced there. And um, I, I had to integrate back to work. I had to integrate back to real life. I mean, you're in a sterile environment for 30 to 60 days and um, you really don't have to worry about the outside world. You've got that time to concentrate on yourself and now boom there's life right back in your face again um so i i'm glad i took that time to drive home um as opposed to flying home well Being you hate a, you hate flying anyways right uh not not necessarily it's yeah. it's you know it's i just i like that driving and having that time to yourself and you know so um but i think it was good for me it was good to you know, kind of get my ducks in a row for when I got home and I was going to hit the ground running and, you know, see what was a priority to handle first and see where I was going to go with everything. So what were some of your biggest concerns coming back? Because you're different. Like we talked in the last episode, for those that have listened, I, I highly do recommend going to listening to or going and listening to part one. Uh, of this, but you know, you're, you're a little bit different where, uh, you weren't necessarily nervous about others, other people's reactions as much, right? Like, I mean, you weren't afraid of hiding the fact that you went and sought help 
because that that's what a lot of people feel right they they don't want people to know so what what were some of your biggest concerns coming back to the twin cities um some of my biggest concerns were time time management was a big one because i had in my slp which is my self-leadership plan which you develop while you're at chateau and it kind of gives you a guideline of how you're going to live your life how you're going to integrate the things that you were taught while in treatment and how you are going to keep integrating those into your life um when i shared it at chateau a lot of the concern was how are you going to fit all this stuff into your your day your week so and give us an idea of what that looked like like because I know you so well enough. my SLP looked like, I mean, I really got into the meditation. I really got into the yoga. I probably, when I left Chateau, I was in some of the best shape of my life. I mean, I had walked a ton. I had done a ton of hiking. I had worked out a lot. Um, and just fitting all that stuff into my day. And like I said before, you know, that I was in a sterile environment when I was able to do that. And now life is there again. I've got to get up and go to work. I've got to get up and take care of getting the dog out, getting him settled for when I go to work. I got to find time to work out. I got to find time to um, go see my daughters. I've got to find time to um, maybe make a meeting, uh, make a, a Zoom meeting and get to bed at a decent hour to keep that healthy sleep pattern that I had developed at Chateau and finding time for all that. And there were other things I wanted to take on too, like, you know, getting more involved in some of the workout plans that I had done at Chateau or, you know, even diving more into um, this whole new realm of recovery that I had found while I was out there and exploring what that would look like for a future with me and trying to maybe set myself up for doing something in that line of work. Yeah. And, and like, I know you well enough to know you're, you're a big hobby guy too, right? Yep. Like, yep. like you like to have fun and yes. do the things that you like to do hunting, fishing, you know, uh, whatever it is. And yep. that's a huge part of your life right it yes and no because prior to going out to treatment it wasn't as big of a part of my life as it had been in the past when i grew up and through my teenage years i was very very involved in hunting fishing camping all that kind of stuff and then as i became an adult i got into my career and other things in life started happening, kids, bills, stuff like that. I That really fell to the wayside. And one of the things that I discovered about myself while I was in treatment is every peaceful time in my life that I remember was associated with something like hunting, fishing, camping, being outside, something constructive and i was determined to get that back in my life yeah and that's i mean that's why i wanted to to make sure we hit on that point because i think that i mean this is just mental health in general is i think as we we become adults and we work those 12 hour days or 16 hour day, whatever it may be all of those hobbies and those things that we love to do really fall to the wayside. Yeah, they take a back seat. Yeah, and I think that contributes to issues. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think that contributes to exhaustion, to, you know, anger, to depression, and all of that stuff. Because if, if I'm looking at you from an outsider's perspective, right, like, what I see you do now is you do things you enjoy. Yes. And, like, that's Very a key. To, so. I think that's a key to anyone's happiness. Yes. And, and I think that not very many people go back to that. And that's why I wanted to hit on it. I don't yeah. think people start doing and, those hobbies and again. And for me, it, you know, like I said, coming home, I wanted to get into my meditation. I wanted to get into yoga and other things like that. Some of the things that they te teach you while you're in treatment to recenter yourself, to decompress, to, and everything like that. And... 
for me personally, that got yoga, meditation got replaced with getting up at 5 a.m. and sitting on a glass calm lake in my boat and and watching the sun come up. But that's the same. Fishing. But that's the same thing. Like that's it is, your. It, it is and it isn't. It it's it's kind of a way to integrate what you love with and i'll be honest with you yoga i'm not the most flexible guy in the world i'm not built like a flexible guy um it was a lot more enjoyable for me to go hook up my boat and drive to a lake or sit in a deer stand or you know be out on a, a pond before sun comes up and throwing out duck decoys to that became my therapy that became how i decompressed how i um re-centered myself when things got out of whack yeah but that's i mean that's you don't always need a therapist to do those type of things right like that's that's what i i i'm getting into with you on this particular point is that like you found something to calm your mind yes when the rest of the world is still going insane because tell me tell me if i'm wrong though you you came right back in the thick of covid right like yes and yep. so things were shut down there's not like a ton of room for connection with you know other people people are you know isolated or or whatever it may be so you know, uh, at least working in treatment, I noticed uh, at very, very quickly during COVID that all of the recipes for things that we had told people to do for years and years as part of a successful plan were no longer possible. Oh, I, I can give you a perfect example of that. I mean, prior to me going out to Chateau, I was the first person, well, the second, um, in a department of almost 700, 800 people to get COVID. And it was in the very beginning of COVID. Nobody knew how to deal with it. Nobody knew what to do. I was isolated for a good three weeks in my one bedroom (sighs) apartment. And what else do you do but sit around, eat? And for me, it was sit around, eat, and drink. I mean, those are two of the three main you know negative ingredients in mental health isolation and substance abuse and i really didn't have anything else to do you know and so when you said yeah you know covid kind of changed everything and kind of set mental health as far as people being able to not isolate not you know connect with people and you know even I mean, I think the mental health industry, the telehealth industry kind of went bonkers with COVID because everybody was experiencing some form of depression during it. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, we're, we're going to be seeing the impacts of, you know, the, the mental health crisis for the next 20 years in youth and, and I mean, in everyone, but, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, telehealth is one of those that kind of expanded and, you know, it has its negatives and its positives. In my opinion, it's great that you can access resources. However, I don't think there's anything stronger than me and you sitting down and having a conversation face to face still. No, there's nothing even to take that a step further of standing in line at the grocery store and striking up a conversation with a complete stranger. And especially like, in a town like St. Paul, you can sit at a restaurant, run into a stranger, and within five minutes you have half a dozen people that you know in common. Yeah, and, and that's but that's not normal, right? Like I don't think that that's no, but you know, it's it's part of it's part of why you live human here. Human connection. Yeah, it's part of that. Hey, you know, I ran into so and so. They knew you. It yeah. makes you reach out to another person, saying, "Hey." I ran into your cousin the other night and didn't know it was your cousin, you know, but yeah. with COVID, all that kind of got just snuffed out. Absolutely. No, I, I totally agree there. Um, okay. So we've painted the picture a little bit, you know, you, you've left treatment, you know, you've, 
taken care of yourself in different ways, right? Like yes. reintegrated yep. yourself back into some of the hobbies that you like doing. Yes. It's still the depths of, of COVID. So you're, you're missing that connection piece. Yes. How's work? How did you, how, like, did you come back immediately? Did you have to do a fit for I, duty? What, did, what was yep. your process? So what I did is I took a week off between coming home and um, going back to work. And I did that for one main reason. And that was to spend time with my girls. Um, spent a lot of time with them. They had a lot of questions. They're, you know, teenage girls. And my two older ones were young adult, young adults at the time. Um, they had a lot of questions. They had a lot of questions of what did you experience? And the bigger question for them was, what does life look like for you now? And I think that was probably one of the smarter moves I made taking that time to um, spend with them. Cause I honestly, I could have jumped right back into shift work and gone back to work and everything. But I think I needed that time to make some connections that maybe I had damaged prior to treatment with my behavior and with my, you know, what I was going through mentally um, and it was, it was, the response was unbelievable. I mean, the, my kids were very supportive and to even take it a step further, when I reintegrated back into work, the response I got from, um, the guys and the gals that I work with, the administration was nothing but positive. It was, you know, Hey, we're proud of you. We're, we're glad to have you back, you know, and we're glad you took care of yourself. Which isn't always the case. As as you found out, you know, working in this field, that's that's not going to be... No, it's not always result. the case. And, yeah. and it, it's... We're getting better at it mm-hmm. as an industry. We're getting better at seeing that it's okay to not be okay. It's... We're all human. We all have that point in life where life gets to be too much... And maybe we don't respond to life getting to be too much in the most healthy ways. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. And so, okay. So administrative is administration is supportive. Um, good people in the department. Let's talk about going on calls and everything. You know, were you, were you triggered at all? Were you not so much in, um, like we kind of touched in the final moments of the first episode of this, I'm blessed. I'm very blessed. I get to ride around with a very good friend of mine that I've known since we were both five years old. And it's almost like when I jumped back in that car, I hadn't even left. It was, you know, we still read each other. We read each other's, you know, thoughts as far as what we need to do on certain calls and everything like that. And it was like, I hadn't even missed a beat. That's, that's amazing. Right. Like that's not normal too. So no, so, no, it's not. Yeah. So you, you, I think this is a key part of, of like why you've been successful, right? Like all the support around you, uh, family, friends, department, yep. um, you're, I mean, it's cold as shit here right now. Yeah. Right. We know, you know, we know this. Uh, I've bitched about it for three days. We are in St. Paul right now. That's why uh, we are sitting down with John. Yeah, and just so the listeners know, uh, the air temp outside is negative six with the windshield. It feels like negative 26. Yeah. It's rough, especially for me. I, I forget that I'm bald. Uh, until I go outside without like a beanie or oh, something yeah. on, and yeah. I'm like, oh, or when I... we were walking around Cabela's last night, and you're like, my feet are cold. Oh yeah, yeah, it's not normal. <laughs> uh, I, but once again, you're in a place that you love. Yep. No matter how fucking cold it is, <laughs> you do love it here. I can tell. It is I... fucking cold. Here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But so I mean, it's all of these surround, all of these things are are producing positivity for you, right? Mm-hmm. Um. 
and I don't know how much you want to get into this particular portion, but I want to leave it up to you. Let's talk about like relationships, significant others. Uh, I just want to rewind a little bit. You you touched a little bit on calls, and yeah. I, I just yeah. want to share one that I went to when I got home. It was probably three, four months after I got home. Um, we had a call of a check the welfare of a female that her family had called and said she was in an abusive relationship. And one of my partners went out, made contact with a female. She said, no, I'm okay. Um, you know, and he said, hey, your family's trying to get a hold of you. And she didn't have a phone to use. He offered her to use his department-issued cell phone. And she was like, nope, I'm okay. You know, I'm fine. And within two hours, we were called back to that address by the family who had gone to check the welfare of her and found her and her two children dead. Um, she had been killed by her boyfriend. And I remember getting there and I remember driving there. I was partnered with one of our female officers that day and... Um, I remember driving there going, okay, this is, this is the test. This is, you know, this is the first big call that you've had since you gotten back. And I was worried. I was worried about how I'd react, how I, you know, and it, it was weird. My training and experience took over. It was, uh, a very dynamic scene and, um, a lot of, Things that would have used to have triggered me um, happened on that call. And I remember getting done with that call and talking about it with a couple people. And I remember going home and also calling uh, my good friend Roy that I was at Chateau with and kind of stepping through the call with him. He's a former police officer. And those are things I wouldn't have done before. Those are things that... Um, I would have jumped right into a bottle after that call. I would have gone and gotten a 12-pack and drank until I wouldn't think about that call anymore and just suppressed all those feelings. But the things that I learned out of Chateau with um, being in the moment and um, letting those feelings come and feeling them and then moving on, I tried to really put that in practice, and it helped. It was unbelievable it still it's not a call that i think about every day um it is a call that sometimes pops into my mind but it doesn't send me down that rabbit hole like it would have before chateau yeah and <clears throat> you're talking about when you reached out i don't know if you remember but i think i talked to you like three days after that call yep I think I do remember now. Yeah, and uh, I remember you kind of saying those exact things of like, it was not easy. No, by, it was not an easy uh, call at all. Yeah, but my my reaction to the critical incident was drastically different yes. uh, than yep. than it had been, you know, previously during my career. Um, and I mean, that's that's growth, right? Like, yeah. I mean, did you look at that as a victory? I look at that as a huge victory. Yeah. I do, because something like that are, calls like that are the reasons people leave this industry. People go, okay, I'm not, I'm done. I can't see another call like that. I can't be involved in something like that. And for me, the, the love of this job was so deep that, I had an opportunity to go, I'm done. I, I had my calls that I could have checked that box and gone, I'm done. But, I mean, it's something very special here in St. Paul to be a son of St. Paul and be one of St. Paul's finest. And, and the love of that job and the love of serving the people that, you know, uh, the city that I grew up in is more important yeah, I mean that's beautiful, right there, right? Like that's, it's it's for that. That's for the younger generation that's thinking about 
Nope. Doing this, right? And and I don't think that's probably our listeners very much. But uh, if yeah. if it is, you know, that's that's why people do it. Um, right there, you know. I mean, you're 18 years, right? 18. You said 18 last time, and I had to correct you. I'll be starting my 25th year in August. Why do I keep the? Is it because you? Technically, mm-hmm. have five years till retirement. Is that seven? I thought you had seven. Years. I have five to seven, okay, depending so, on what it looks like. See, I keep thinking you have seven years in the twenty-five year retirement. If I mark. make it to fifty-five, I'll end up with thirty-two years of service yeah. as a police officer. So that that is why, by the yeah. way, because I keep thinking you have seven years left, and usually most people are like, "I can retire at twenty-five years yep. or, or whatever." Yep. Maybe. We're a little so, different here. Yeah, we don't go by years of service here; we go by age. And okay. the minimum age here to retire and not be penalized by um, percentages of your retirement is 55. Got it. That is 100% why. It's yep. drastically different in Utah. They go yep. straight off of years. It was 20. And when I started, it was a little different. I think the minimum retirement age was 50, and I would have ended up with right around... 26 27 years and i was going to be done at 50 but like three years into me being a police officer they changed it to 55 i bet you that pissed some people off didn't it it did but it it you saw a lot of guys scramble to get out of there at 50 yeah yeah. you know and right now with the amount of overtime that's available and um some of the other factors you're seeing guys that are able to leave at 52, 53 and still walk away with a very nice pension. Yeah. How, how's your guys' staffing right now? Are you still at, uh, we're still below where we should be, but we just graduated an academy of 28, a week ago and we just started another academy uh monday of i believe 12 to 15 okay still and pretty low though they have they have they kind of gave us a road map of what it's going to look like in the next couple of years and they're going to try to if we can recruit well enough um they're going to try and run back-to-back academies for like two years straight Okay, and they weren't doing that before one academy a year, basically. Um, yeah, sometimes they're back when I was hired in '98, so I was the only class in 1998, and then 1999 they had the class of 1999-1, the class of 1999-2, and I think they kind of went at that pace for a couple of years. Gotcha. And so, so it just kind of rotates. I mean, obviously, it do, it's due to you know the retirements and the yeah. the vacancies they have to fill. And yeah. so, so how many do you think you guys are operating at now? If you just had to guess, ooh, I think our authorized strength is somewhere around seven fifty. I'd say we're probably around. 650 right now that's pretty good i mean that's better than most it's way better than we were yeah you yeah because you guys were at 500 we're, for at a while point, we you? were we yeah. were low yeah we were low i mean it's just like the rest it's it's yeah, every it's single right department everybody is yeah. kind of battling the same thing retention um recruitment and yeah do you think that's going to change or do you think this I is going to stay for I a do. while no i do think it's going to change i think the um, I think a lot of departments like St. Paul have done a lot of good things to show the communities that we serve that, um, that we're different, that we are, um, we operate differently than some of the departments around the nation. And I think that it's going to change just because you kind of saw the chaos that came with uh, when the public opinion on law enforcement and the police wasn't the greatest. 
And I think people started to realize it, it's a necessity to have the police. And it's, you know, um, I think some communities really realized, hey, we're actually pretty blessed with the officers that we have serving our community that they're not, you know, drawing national attention and they're not drawing um, some, how would I say, uh, critical criticism yeah. to our department. No, I, I get what you're saying. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't know. Only time will tell, right? Like yeah. that's that's... Really, I think that a lot of departments like St. Paul have changed some, you know, internal operations or whatever it is to make sure that the job since I've been on has changed dramatically. Well, it's I mean, technology has come into play, it was not a huge driving force of it. You know, we used to handwrite our reports. We used my first year on, we hand wrote our reports, we then got a report writing system. For our laptops and squad computers, then we went to in-car cameras, and a couple of years ago we went to body cameras. And I mean, you try and introduce change to a group of people, especially a group of people as strong-minded as police officers. It's not a good thing. Yeah, it takes. I remember when body cams came out, everybody was like, "Oh." These are the worst thing. We're going to be getting in trouble for everything. And to be honest with you, they've dispelled more things. Uh, uh, Cameras don't lie, I guess, right? They've also shown the reality of our job. They've shown the human side of our job to where, you know, things that got were hearsay almost prior to body cams about... Cops going out there and going above and beyond the call of duty or even showing their human side. And, um, I mean, you could go Google anything about kindness police officers have shown, and some of it's been caught on body cam. Oh, yeah. I think I, think I just watched one where they arrested someone's door dasher and then he took the food of the house. Yeah. Yeah. I saw shit, that one. Shit yeah. Like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, and that stuff was hearsay rumor story before body cams and now it's a reality that hey these you know the 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 stigma of police officers and not being human is kind of being brushed aside and we're seeing a human side to these officers that was never really known before yeah no totally so that's that's a good thing but uh so let's circle back a little yep. bit here. Go we ahead. we got off topic, but it oh, was a sorry. good it was a good off topic. No, I I enjoyed that's a good conversation that I always like to have. because um, everyone's got different opinions and you know, different parts of the country have different things going on. So uh it's always good to get insight from everyone. Um I wanna jump into the hard shit real quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, we went over like the beautiful part, right? Yep. Of the family, the job. Yep. I mean, let's talk about the tough shit. What was tough, man? Because I, I know you didn't have it easy. Um, one of the big things for me that was really tough when I got back was being alone. Um, I, right out of treatment, wasn't 100% sure I trusted myself. Mm-hmm. Wasn't 100% sure I was in a state of mind to make the right decisions when I had to, when I was alone, as far as like, you know, Hey, I'm bored. I don't have anything to do. You know, prior to Chateau, I'm bored. I don't have anything to do. Well, shit, let's go to the bar. Yeah. Um, that was scary for me. That was, and I tried to fill myself. I tried to fill every minute, every day with something to do to avoid that feeling and it reared its ugly head and was like, you got to sit in the uncomfortableness. You got to experience it and formulate some kind of plan to combat it. And for me, it was, all right, what, 
what is the most healthy thing to do right now. I know that, you know, you want some human interaction and, you know, bars are a real easy place to find it or going and hanging out with your buddies that are all at the bonfire, you know, hooping it up is a, is an easy way to find it. But what I had to really look inside myself and go, what's best for John? What is best for your recovery right now? And I was still fragile at that point. I was still learning how to integrate all these new skills I had into my life. And I wanted to succeed. I wanted to show everybody that, hey, this wasn't a vacation for me. Leave for 60 days, go hang out in the mountains of Utah, come back, do three or four months sober, and then I'm back to the old John. Yeah. I, 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 and I'm getting too old. I'm getting too old to live that lifestyle where, you know, it's, it would almost be a bigger setback than it was before if I were to make that unhealthy choice. Yeah. Well, I mean, does that involve, uh, you know, that you have lived a portion of your life now on, you know, quote unquote, the other side, right? Like, you know, what happiness is or, yeah. or whatever oh, yeah. it may be, or, you're feeling joy again or you're, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Like, you know that that's there. So to go back down that path again is, it, it's, it's easy to do. Don't get it, me wrong. It's, 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 it's extremely easy. It's yeah. extremely easy to grab that victim yeah. mentality again and feel sorry for yourself and, and get up in the morning and look at yourself and go, God, you're a piece of shit while you look at yourself in the mirror. It's very easy to do that. And it's, almost it's sad to say this it's almost human nature sometimes mm -hmm. to do that and i think what i experienced was i was done living that way i was done well that's hurting. the easier i was done yeah that's done the easier hurting. softer yeah. way that's the easier softer way i, I like don't that. have 50 years left you know, I've got to make the most of the time I have, and I want that to be good time. Mm -hmm. You know, I want it to be full of fun memories and, you know, great experiences with family and friends. And Yeah, you want to live. Yeah. That's, that's and, the, the bottom line. I wasn't living. Yeah. I wasn't. I was, I mean, getting off of work at 5 in the afternoon and being in a bar by 5.30 until sometimes 2 in the morning, that's not living. It's sitting alone in your apartment and stewing about how the world has wronged you and how, you know, nobody cared about you when in fact it's the complete opposite. The only person that's wronged you is yourself. And there are people out in the world that care about you, but you're so stuck in this cloud and this funk that you can't even see it. And it was once that I broke out of that cloud and that funk and was able to get out of that rabbit hole I was stuck in that I was able to look around and go, yeah, this is the way I want to live. Absolutely. No, that's, I mean, that's part of it. You got to have that to be successful, right? Like you got to have that little, little sense of like, you got to have, yeah, I think there's a number of key components to being successful after you get out of treatment. You got to have. Self-accountability is one of the biggest ones. You got to own your shit. Another one is a support system. And like we touched on earlier, I had an amazing support system all the way down to my partner that I ride around 10 hours a day with, the administration at work, my girlfriend, my kids, my relatives. I mean... Eh. I don't think I have, since I've been back, you know, some guys all, you know, the guys that really, and I think I figured out quickly, the guys that kind of gave me a hard time about treatment were the guys that maybe they needed a little help too. Mm -hmm. They were uncomfortable with the fact that I had gotten my shit together and that I had righted my wrongs. And I think the people that, 
weren't supportive were people that maybe had some issues of their own? Well, I I think it could possibly be, you know, like if you did it, then they felt like they could do it, but they weren't strong enough at that moment, right? So there's a little bit of anger that comes. Do you get what I'm saying there? Like They weren't ready. Yeah, or it's like, you know, well, fuck, that guy did it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting over here, so wallowing in my sorrows. I'm mm-hmm. gonna be a dickhead to him. Yep. You know, I'm gonna. That's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah. Which, I think that's just human nature once again, right? Like exactly. Which is okay. That's exactly. it's no issue at all, right? Like that's their own shit that we have to let go. Mm-hmm. And you talk shit back a little uh, bit here and there, you know, fuck you. But it, other than that, like you know, and it's just yeah. And I almost got to a point now where. Prior to me getting some help, somebody giving me shit about anything would have eaten me alive. Yeah. Oh, I'm a horrible person. Nobody likes me. Um, this and this and that. Now it's just like, whatever. Oh, dude. Like, I mean, me and my friends are, we're more self-deprecating to ourselves, like in a jokingly way, mm-hmm. than anyone else can be these days anyway. Oh, that's the whole law enforcement industry. Yeah. I mean, yeah. cops give each other more shit than... Yeah. Anybody and you, yeah. if you were to walk into a roll call or anywhere in the nation and watch how cops interact, you'd be like, God, these guys hit each other. Yeah, but I'm saying it's I may, uh, a, the exact opposite. That's how mm. it is twisted as it sounds. That's how we show love to each other. I don't, yeah, I don't think it's twisted, man, because uh, I, I do it with my friends too, right? That are non law enforcement, like, yeah, you do it to fucking, me all the time, yeah, and but you know, I love you. <laughs> No, that's don't. the thing like that's that's just how it is man is we just give each other shit and you know but the the fact of the matter is is any single moment you would need me or anyone exactly. like that in that matter like it's exactly. it's no questions asked and i think kind of where you're going with this is my relationships with my kids my girlfriend um her kids uh, her parents, my relatives, they all got stronger because I got stronger. They got stronger because I learned, one of the biggest things I learned out of Chateau was how to love myself again. And once you learn how to love yourself again, you are open to other people loving you too. And prior to that, I was so angry and pissed off at the world and stuck in such a depression and rut that I didn't want anybody to get close to me. I didn't want anybody to, you know, show me any kind of compassion because I didn't have enough compassion for myself. And it wasn't until I almost hit rock bottom that... I had to find some compassion for myself because it was the first thing I was able to grab onto and hold onto. And for anybody that is close to hitting rock bottom, that is the first thing you have to grab onto to get better is that compassion for yourself to be able to forgive yourself, to be able to love yourself again because you can do all the 12-step stuff you want. You can do all the um, meetings you want and everything. But if you are not able to love yourself and be able to surrender to some of the teachings that you're being taught, you're just chasing your tail. And you'll never come out the other end, right? No, no. Yeah. And there is almost... You watch some of these movies where the main character in the movie has that moment of euphoria. The or The light bulb goes off or whatever, maybe. Kind of, but I'm looking for almost a better descriptor, like that over calming presence of peace in their life mm-hmm. that comes in. And for me, not only finding my sobriety, but being able to handle and control 
my mental health, that was that moment for me. That was, hey, uh, all the noise and confusion and my mind racing at night prior to Chateau, all that shut off. Yeah, but it took a lot of work. It was a lot of work. It's, yeah. it's, yeah. I will not tell anybody in, in clients that I work with now when they, I get referred somebody and, hey, can you talk to this person about maybe getting some help or something like that? The first thing I tell them are, I ask them is, are you ready for help? Because if they're not ready for help, it's, you're wasting your time, my time, and everybody else's. You're going to just spin, like I said before, and chase your own tail. And once they tell me I am ready for help, and I'm going to be honest with you, this is not going to be easy. There are pieces of yourself you're going to have to look at and pieces of yourself that you're going to have to dissect that aren't pretty. But you need to be okay with that. You need to be okay, and I know I've said this several times, with not being okay. Yeah. Yeah, like mental health is the unfortunate one. I feel like I've said this like a broken record the last couple of days with these departments when they've when they've asked for like st- certain statistics or success rates or, or all of these type of things. I have to say like, look, mental health is one where like we can give you all the tools and, and all the capabilities to be successful. But if that person is not invested appropriately and willing to put in the effort to continue working on themselves, like you won't have success. No. Right? Like no. you can inspire and, and do all of those type of things as a, a facility, as yourself, right? Like someone as the alumni director talking yep. to somebody, like you can do all of those things, but you know. And I, and success in this field is such a skewed topic yeah so you can be successful i you and i could sit down with a potential client a potential you know mental health organization that wants to get involved and we can rattle off numbers oh yeah but you want to measure true success you look at how an individual does after they get out how uh, how their life is six months, a year, two years, three years after they get out. And success to me is if I can get one person help, if I can get that one person to be able to stick their head back up out of that rabbit hole and go, oh, it is still is pretty beautiful world up here. You know, and I can give them a hand in pulling themselves out of the rabbit hole. Everything's been successful. It's like that. It's kind of like that old adage and our good friend, Brad Shepard. This is one of his stories and lines is you got a, you got a cop or a firefighter in the hole. They're in a hole. They can't get out. And construction worker walks by and he says hey buddy can you get me out of the hole oh man can't help you but i can throw you this towel because it's pretty hot out construction worker leaves and you got a priest walks by the hole and the cop looks up the priest and says hey father can you help me get out of the hole and he father looks down he goes oh i'm sorry my son i can't help you but i will say a prayer for you Father says a prayer with the cop and leaves. Cop's still in the hole. Finally, another cop walks by the hole and he goes, Hey, brother, can you help me get out of this hole? What does the cop do? He jumps in the hole with them. And it kind of sounds like a joke, but the tagline is, Cop jumps in the hole with them. And then the cop that was originally in the hole looks at him and goes, What are you doing, idiot? Now we're both in the hole. The cop that jumped in the hole looks at him and goes, yeah, but I've been here before, brother. I know the way out. 
And oh. if I can do that for one of my brothers and sisters, my whole career is, that's what my career is about. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that that's the perfect way to end. Yeah. Double. This this podcast because I think that that's that's something that a lot of people will resonate with, just that little, yep. you know, portion there because it it's true. I, I, I got to give credit to Brad Shepard. That's Brad Shepard. Don't give him analogy. credit. Don't give him take <laughs> take full credit for that uh, all the way. If anyone ever asks me, I'm saying it's from you. <laughs> So, hey, John, no, thank you. I know it's it's always late that we're doing this. It's like, no, you know. That's what we do. 8.50 on a Tuesday night. And, yeah, but what are we going to do? Yeah. yeah, you're right. But no, we'll I appreciate outside it. Yeah, and the have the snot bubbles f- coming out of our yeah, nose freeze. Yeah, No, no thank you. Um, but in saying that, like, I love you, dude. I it's love just, you, man. Yeah. And I, you were one of the true blessings in my life in my family at Chateau, the staff, the clients that I work with, and the people that I was in there that I made lifelong friendships with, I mean, they are my motivation. You are yeah. my motivation. My kids are my motivation to continue living a healthy life. So we're going we're gonna to end this with a little... I'm not hugging you. No, no, no. All right. We're not going to get gay. Don't. We're going to call out a buddy of yours so that he listens to this whole thing and knows that Roy's next. Yeah, Roy Wall. Unbelievable story. So uh, just to kind of prelude you guys, you want to talk about perseverance, a absolutely tough son of a bitch. Yeah. Um, I don't know how we're going to do it yet. I haven't figured we're it out. We're going to figure it out, but that is my yeah. best friend, Roy Wall. Yes. Um, he, uh, he will tell his story. I don't want to take any of his thunder, but I look at that man, and I see what he has gone through, and I look at my problems and go, wow, I really need to toughen up and... Um, because that man is a true inspiration of recovery, of perseverance, and paying it forward. Absolutely. And, you know, I didn't know if you even knew this, but this is our last official episode of season one. Yeah. In case case you didn't know, it's been, this is episode number 15. Where are we sitting at for subscribers? Oh, man. So it jumps up and down. Um, There's been like a total of over 12,000 listens, which is pretty cool, I think, for a bunch of bums that have just kind of like, I don't know if this will work. I don't know if Uh, people will listen. I got a question. Are we ever going to go the Joe Rogan route and start? video recording our podcast i've thought about doing that a bunch but i don't want people to see how ugly i am Uh, i'll let them like kyle you you are a kind of a a a joe rogan-esque kind of guy get out of here don't i I can only wish you know you know but no it's as kyle (laughs) you know with this podcast i try and uh promote this podcast a lot um so if you do listen to this podcast i do ask you to share it with friends maybe share it with somebody that's struggling um you never know what kind of thing is going to spark somebody else to get some help and it might just be this podcast um share it with people um get us to be able to reach out to somebody else get somebody else the help they need yeah, we're always looking for sponsors. We're always looking for to promote other people, whatever it may be. I think, I think this got taken on with no idea what it was going to turn into because it is like such a, a weird subject. To, I mean, like the Joe Rogans and like all of those, like mm-hmm. they can go on any and every topic. Like this is for cops and firefighters yep. and EMTs and yep. corrections, dispatch. I mean, this is for for you guys and those are our listeners i think right like um or family of yeah family of as well yeah absolutely i think and you know what i think that that's some of the guests that i think we need to bring on next i think it'd be very cool to have 
you know, some family members of cops yeah. or firefighters come on, and especially some of our cops or firefighters that have seen some adversity in their mental health and, you know, maybe do an episode of how, how did this affect family, the people within your immediate inner circle. Yeah. Cause, uh, you know, this is the last official, I mean, I didn't even know when we started, if we were ever going to make it to five episodes, you know? Um, but I know that we're going to be doing things a little bit differently. Um, probably this next season, maybe do some more remote stuff so that awesome. we can get some different guests yep. from across the country. Um, be great. cause it, you know, that's, that's our immediate barrier right now is like these, these trips and these things that I go on, um, I try and snag someone mm -hmm. always, um, you know, like for yep. you, we're in Minneapolis, we're in Minnesota. That's the only reason we're doing this. We had Trevor in town, you know, yep. uh, last week or so. That's, and if you guys going. have not listened to that podcast, it was our last podcast, uh, The Angry Viking. Unbelievably great guy. Um, his name does not really describe his appearance, but it does not describe his heart. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so give it a listen, subscribe. You know, if you love us, give us five stars on Spotify uh, or Apple or whatever. You know, you got anything special to say to listeners? No, it's just it's extremely grateful that they listen. Okay, because oh. I can barely stand my own voice. Well, you know, then I'll take the lead here, and yeah. I want to wish uh, all our listeners a happy holidays. Absolutely. Um, well, so you I got said the... it the politically correct way. Yeah. Well, and you... I'll say it now the right way. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Um, I hope this past year for you was one filled with a lot of happiness and joy. And to 2023 coming up. Gee. I hope that's a great year for all of you listeners. And for you, Austin. And yeah. See, that's the Midwest. And yeah, the politeness just came yeah, out. You yeah, know? yeah, the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but uh, you betcha. Yeah, I, I would be remorsed if I would not send a shout-out to the Lucky Fuckers Club. Um, uh, they're very dear to my heart, and they mm -hmm. listen to this as much as they can. So yeah. you guys are awesome. Yeah, so. absolutely. Happy, ha happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and... We'll see it. We're we're gonna take a few weeks off to to re-platform for season two and figure yeah. out moving forward. So yeah, we'll, we'll see you guys at the beginning of twenty twenty three. Yeah, let's go bite the head off a of gingerbread man. <laughs>
licensed behavioral health clinicians that teach from lived experiences, not just theories from books. This fast-paced immersive educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details, visit 991overwatch.org or call 970-222-419-3. This could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.